All right, Cyprian, Pete, I'm just going to get right to it. First things first, let's get the business out of the way. Are you guys ready to roar? Oh, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I'm ready to roar. Let's do it. I had a, I had a feeling, but uh, it was actually, you know, the reason I brought you guys on here a little over two years after all this COVID craziness started uh, is you guys were really influential, both of you on sort of my, the way I was starting to see things shape up as they, as you know, my life got thrown completely topsy turvy when the lockdown started, uh, I was put out of work, um, left the country, all of this madness that was going on at the time. And, but you know, e- even as this was happening and I think even a little bit before it was happening, you guys were ha- having conversations that were really getting me thinking in a different way. And really in my view shaped a lot of the way that I, I saw things unfold, especially as things unfolded that both of you were talking about warning about um and it is really interesting going back and listening to some of these early podcasts i'll, I'll try to post all the ones that i'm kind of referencing here uh in the show notes for today's show because it's it's a it's a hell of a trip to go back and listen to that stuff but i just want to get right into it i don't think we need to recap everything that you know you guys have both talked about all of this stuff on various podcasts over the last couple of years but I, what i do want to ask each of you just to start off is if you can if you can um, remember a specific moment, like sort of like an, an aha moment uh, where you said, where you really realized and accepted, okay, we're, we're in a completely new world now. And I'll start with you, Cyprian. Yes. Yes. I, it was, and I, I've, I've referenced this a few times, but I, it was, I was in Southern California and it was walking into a Trader Joe's, I think the first, it may have even been before, but I think it was when the day that Gavin Newsom or the day after Gavin Newsom said, because the very first thing that he did was to say, like, people over the age of 55 or something should stay home. And I remember walking in and it wasn't even like a a mandate or an executive order or anything like that. It was just sort of an announcement that like people over this age should stay home. And I remember walking into a Trader Joe's near my office. I had this little office in Redlands, California, and I walked into the Trader Joe's there and all of the tortilla chips. If people are familiar with like Trader Joe's, they have a gigantic chip section. Right. And like all these tortilla chips. All the tortilla chips were gone. All the pasta was gone. All the toilet paper and paper towels was gone. Um, The pasta sauce was gone. The canned goods were gone. The meat was still there. The vegetables, like it was completely untouched. And I was like, wow, this is really weird because people, what I got was, I was like, People think, so we've got a pandemic, but people are buying as though the electricity is about to go out, mm. right? That's, that's what they're buying. Because if the electricity isn't going out, why are you not buying meat that you can freeze, right? Like that's way, that's way smarter than buying pasta and to, to, like tortilla chips. That's, that's dumb. Like you want to buy the perishable stuff. That will possibly, that's what the pandemic could affect, right? It'll, I'm like, well, people will be too sick to drive and this and that. No, no, no. You want the, 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 the perishable things and then you're going to freeze them. Those were there. And so that was the moment. Oh, that same day I walked into another, or maybe a day after I walked into another grocery store, same situation. The toilet paper was gone. And I remember even tweeting this, the toilet paper was gone, 
but the over-the-counter cough medicine, NyQuil, Robitussin, DayQuil, all of that, Theraflu, untouched. Untouched. And I remember it was sort of those two things where I said, okay, this is actually a signal to me that like we're, su- like, we're super dumb. And it's the dumbness. It's actually the dumbness here that is going to be the issue. It's not going to be anything about a pandemic. It's not going to be anything about a virus, but it's that it was the signal to me that we are stupid, that we that the society has become super stupid, and this just exposed it. And that was the moment where I was like, dangerous, because the stupid are dangerous. Forget about the virus. But v- viruses, we can deal with viruses. But stupid people, most dangerous thing you'll ever encounter. So that was, for me, it was that that those two instances where I was like, Okay, yeah. Pete, I have a yeah. Yeah. I have a couple. Um a friend on February thirteenth contacted me and said, Hey, can we get on Skype? Um I just bought guns because the world's about to end and I don't know how to use them. So can we you can you show me how to make these guns work over Skype? And he had an AR and he had a Glock and um I'm like Okay, this is uh, this is interesting. And he start, you know, was telling me I've been reading the Wall Street Journal and they're warning about this and everything like that. And at that point, I was just like, I don't, man, so I don't care. But the real moment was when the NBA shut down. When the NBA shut down, I'm like, that is billions of dollars they're going to lose. And I was like. There is no way that this is going to kill, you know, I just knew, I I just knew right away. The Chinese, uh, the videos from China had already come out and I already was like, that's not real. That's propaganda. And, but as soon as the NBA shut down, I knew something was going on and it was beyond a virus that this was going to be something that was, somebody was taking advantage that, you know, um, what's Rahm Emanuel. I'm hearing Rahm Emanuel in my ear. Um, And then the first time I was at work and a client said, why aren't you wearing a mask? And I was like, because I don't want to. And then everything just like from that day on, it was just waiting. It was just watching all of these dominoes fall. And I interviewed somebody in, it wasn't a, it was just a conversation I had with somebody in Switzerland. And this was, I could look it up on Skype, probably, I think March 16th, 2020. And I had been, Ryan McMakin and I had done some videos about, you know, the Canton system in Switzerland and how great the Canton system is. They have independent. And then I talked to this guy who lives in Switzerland, lives in Zurich, works with the police and goes, yeah, they're shut. They just shut everything down solid for a month. And the police will, the police will confront you if you're found outside of your house. And then March 17th, one day later, that's when States here started shutting down, started saying, you know, two weeks to flatten the, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, it was uh, like a month in there, but it really started with someone going, the world's about to end. And I bought guns and I'm like, and they're like, show me how to use them over Skype. And I'm like, 
that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me it was the sports thing too. Um, well, yeah, because, because you were into that's well, your business. Yeah, because yeah, it was also my my own job that got <laughs> that got shut down. Uh, but but that was also part of that was also okay. Th- no government, at least no government that I can see, told these organizations, you must now shut down. Yeah. They seemingly did it voluntarily or for some other reason that I didn't know. And that, to me, for them just giving up billions of dollars or whatever kind of revenue they're giving up, that told me, okay, this is, it's, if nothing else, it's, it's not a normal thing. It, it's something else. And I, I, But I also think I was in this place where, I don't know, it seemed like the, the what was happening was kind of everything a lot of people that I follow have been talking about people wanting to do, but it's one of those things that you, you sort of tuck away and, and you think, it's not really really going to do all that stuff right there i really do that um like people like james corbett were talking about this stuff for for a decade more than a decade before this so i think i was grappling with this thing where i i think i realized what was happening but there was that internal struggle where i I didn't really want to accept that i didn't really want to admit that it was kind of what i was thinking it would be and but then hearing you guys have a lot of these conversations, uh, especially in those those first few months, and, and I kept thinking, yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> and and I think just hearing a couple of people that I respect, who I know do not just hastily develop their thoughts on things, sort of saying a lot of the same things that that I was starting to think to myself, really allowed me to you know accept that further, you know, to, to really realize, okay, like I can't just I can't just go along here and pretend and just keep whistling and saying everything's fine while the house is burning around me. Um, I, I want to spend this whole show, you know, just, just looking back on the past. And like the, the reason that I brought you guys here isn't just to say, great job, you're fucking brilliant and you're so smart and everyone should listen to you guys because you know everything. But I did think it would be, there were, were a couple quotes that stood out to me that I did pull out, which is, you know, it's rare when I actually prepare for an episode. So th- this means a lot, but I pulled out a couple things that I, I just want to kind of analyze these, a couple of sentences that I pulled out. That I'm you laughing said. because I can relate. <laughs> i mean this is the first time i have notes and i i don't even know when yeah over a year at least um first i'm going to start with something that pete said you said uh this is in fact tyranny but you said that like you know a bright spot maybe is that this is going to separate the libertarian wheat from the libertarian chaff do you want to just reflect on that statement and and what you've seen in the past two years in regards to that um, I mean, you know, it's the reason I could say that is because I came out of libertarianism. Mm-hmm. I was a Lalbert for so many years, you know, just these one of these people who's like, um, oh, the only answer to, to fixing education is to you got to burn the schools down and everything like that is like, you know, and everyone should homeschool. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, everyone's not going to homeschool. So, you know, um, I mean, just look, just look, I mean, Cato, we knew the beltway was going to screw this all up. Um, beltway libertarians are just absolutely the worst. They, they failed miserably on this. Um, the ones that are out there, I, I know beltway guys who work for reason behind the scenes who are really good guys. I mean, really solid guys, but the people they put out in front is a voice. Okay. Um, the, the Mises Institute. Perfect. Ron Paul Institute. Perfect. Ron Paul. What did he write? I think it was March 15th. He wrote that the coronavirus hoax. 
And I actually know somebody who we know their name. We respect them who said this is good. This will destroy his legacy. And I'm just like, I don't think so. This is a friggin' read the article. He's not saying it's fake. He's saying that this is all the reaction to it is in, is calculated. Mm-hmm. It's devious. But that's really the hard. difference. It's it's whether you can accept that there's deviousness to what is going on, whether to whatever extent that may be, or it's just a series of events and people messing up and they're doing the best well, they can. I wrote on this, I wrote on this on my Substack yesterday. It's Hanlon's law, you know, never attribute to malice that but, but that's Every once in a while, they'd get one right in our favor. If that were true, every once in a while, I mean, that's Hanlon's law is good for your personal life. But when it comes to politics, when it comes to you know geopolitics, they never get one right in our favor. So <laughs> that that doesn't work. I'm sorry. If they, if they'd get one, just one, they'd get one. Um, but as far as, I mean, I don't want to go to like libertarian Twitter or Facebook because who cares what influence do these people have? I mean, they're just, I mean, they do have some influence. I mean, people look at like, um, liber- random libertarians on Facebook or Twitter. And if they have a really, really bad take, or if they're, you know, like arguing age of consent or something like that, it reflects poorly on libertarianism. But, you know, I want to look at like the thought leaders and for the most part, I mean, the people that you would expect to get it right, got it right. And the people you would expect to get it wrong, got it wrong. So, I mean, it's just really a, it just verified what I believe, what I believed all these years that for the most part, the leadership of Cato and the, you know, the people they put out front are terrible. You know, we're going to get this wrong. And Mises Institute, Ron Paul Institute and, um, Sure, I'm leaving somebody out, somebody else out. Um, they got it right, so yeah, it just yeah, <laughs> I, yeah it's, we knew. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, like th- there are certainly people that I I can look back at and say like, oh, you should have been more on this, including myself. Um, that's one thing, but the Cato responses they're they almost read like parody. They're like you're not they're like you're not really saying this right. Like the libertarian case for vaccine mandates, and you're like, okay, this is like obviously a Babylon B article. You're like, nope, this is they actually they actually wrote this and put it out there in a, in a serious manner. Um, it, it really it really is something to watch. And um, I don't think well this one. <laughs> I'm just gonna put this one out there, but we don't need to go into it because it's pretty obvious. Vin did actually say on March 28th, 2020, mandatory vaccines are definitely coming. So I don't think we need to dive further into that one. There, there is one since Pete brought up Ron Paul. I think it is a pretty interesting to look at this quote from Vin on also, I think it was also on March 28th, 2020. Uh, he said, Ron Paul doesn't have anything for you right now. Not a damn thing. And I believe what you were really referring to just to put it into some context here was we, you know, the conversation was about Ron Paul you know, and sort of his messaging and talking about the libertarian philosophy and all of that. But I think that's really what you're referring to. Not, not so much Ron Paul, the person or whatever. Well, and then yeah, I mean, Vin, yeah, go ahead, Vin. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, well it's I, I think to take myself to, to try to put myself back in that moment, what was coming from libertarians. And I think it's even like as as Pete is saying, it, it's it's not that, that, in other words, he didn't have a prescription. I think that there were people who had descriptions, and I think his description was right. You know, like his, his description was absolutely right. And I think that this is sort of the same 
you know, if I've had issues with the Mises caucus, it's been with anybody in libertarianism. It's, and I think Pete is echoing this as well. It's been my, it's been with their prescription, right? That like, I haven't had a problem. If we talk about who got it right, what we're talking about is we're talking about a description, right? And I think that there were plenty of people, as Pete says, who got the description right. And it was exactly as he says, exactly the people that you would expect to get the description right, because these are people who have a track record of getting the description right. And it's like, if you always get the description right, that usually means you're aligned with reality. (laughs) So like, if you get the description right all the time, that's probably you're living in reality. So then something happens and you get the description right. What I was saying at that point is that, and, and this is the problem that I've had with the Mises caucus. And I mean, through these two years, people, you know, who have followed whatever little minor controversy I've had with certain people over this, right? Uh, some of it has happened on, on your show, right? Um, whatever I have had, it has always been, that's been the statement that like, immediately people go, like, it's very, we very quickly get out of description, right? It's like, you either, you know, what Pete and I are saying in, I don't know, what was that? May, June, when we're having these conversations very early on, right? And this is after both of us have been talking with other people, things online, whatnot. And then we start coming together and having these conversations because we can articulate, we've got a little more, right? You very quickly move beyond that. It's like, it either resonates with you, like you said, either you're somebody living in reality and you're like, okay, what these guys are saying, maybe there's, I'm not fully bought in, but it's resonating with me. The description is resonating. Or you're just like, no, they're wrong. So then we move past that very quickly. And then what we moved to and what I saw was people saying, okay, so what do we do? Right? The prescription. People asking for a prescription. And the thing was at that time, and of course, Ron Paul doesn't have a prescription for that. And he shouldn't actually be expected to have a prescription for that because Ron Paul's program was one of a longer view into the future of political transformation that was emergent and gradual and that we would take this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece. And there's a place for that. There's absolutely a place for that. But what we were undergoing was we were undergoing a paradigm shift, right? And we were undergoing basically the equivalent of a natural disaster. And so at that time, or an invasion by an invading army, right? And so at that time, politics is different. You're invaded by an invading army. Something is coming. There's a crisis. You need to transform yourself very quickly, and you need to transform yourself in some ways to meet that challenge at that time, right? So somebody who was a baker needs to put aside his long-term views of changing the world through baking, right? Which are probably still very valid, Somebody who's a uh, politician and a political activist needs to put away their long-term strategy, which it could still be valid after the, after the crisis. They need to put away that long-term strategy, deal with the crisis, transform themselves within the crisis, and then when they come back to the long-term strategy, be informed by what happened during the crisis and make the little alterations so that, yeah, we don't have that happen again. Right. And so that's what I was saying in that moment is that, no, we're not that strategy needs to be put aside for now. 
That strategy needs to be put aside for now. And one of the reasons that it, it clearly needed to be put aside is because the people who you were going against with that strategy had put it aside as well. As, as Pete is saying with Ra the Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste. That's what he's, you know, that's what he's referencing there. Well, those same people, they have a long-term strategy too. But they had put that aside. Right? They had put it aside. So it's like if they've put it aside, take that as a signal. You need to put it aside. Right? Because they're going to, they're going to circumvent and go around and use that crisis as an opportunity to blow apart all the things in your long-term strategy if you keep going with it, because they can do that in a crisis. So take it to your advantage. So that's basically what I was saying at the time. And I think if, if, liber, if libertarianism, I don't even want to say libertarianism, if libertarians got something wrong during this time, it was prescription. It was prescription. As a whole, we, we got to description faster. And unfortunately, there are people who still have the prescription wrong, who are riding on, and I've seen a few things, I'm not going to mention any names, but I've seen a few clips of the individuals who still have the prescription wrong, who are like, but see, we knew all along. Hmm. We were the ones who said this was a hoax. We were the ones who said blah, blah, blah. We were the ones who said blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but you don't get credit for the hindsight is 2020. The description is only valuable. It's not valuable. The, the diagnosis is not valuable after the patient is dead. Okay. The, di the reason for the diagnosis is so that you can prescribe the treatment so the patient doesn't die. Okay. You're saying, well, I got the diagnosis right, but the patient's dead. I don't want to hear it. What, what, what was the treatment? You know what I mean? And you're still rocking. You got the, the diagnosis right, but you still have the wrong treatment, right? So you're going to kill the next patient that comes along. That's, this is basically what I, was, what I was saying at that point. And it's not a slight against Dr. Paul at all, because really, do I expect it? Like, he's old. It's not his job to solve this one, right? It's our job. Give the man a he break. Solved, yeah, he solved, he, he solved it plenty fine. Well, yeah. and... You know, this leads right into one of the best controversies that I orchestrated <laughs> the post-libertarian moment. Because what were we asking? We were asking, what well, next? How, what, yeah, how do we get out of this? What do we do? What is the prescription? And, you know, of course, all the people who are arguing about, you know, how many libertarians can dance on the head of a pin in Ancapistan on Twitter, you know, they're like, well, it's libertarianism is an ought. It's an ought. It's not an is. It's, and I'm like, well, then it's useless. Then it's a philosophy. And it's not, philosophy is not useless. I mean, exercise the brain and everything, but look at what we're going through. What do we do? You know, and immediately, you know, in the summer of 2020, I started talking about a you know, agorism, agorism. Um, and I went pretty hard on it and I still do. I mean, it's like, take care. <laughs> What's the prescription now? Take care of yourself, you know, build the ark, build your ark. Right. Right. I mean, you, you have Indeed. to take care of yourself. Indeed. And if you can take care of yourself, then you can venture out into different things. You know, there are some people who just want to build the ark and go and survive. I'm, God bless. But there are some of us who are like, 
they're not going to stop coming. So what do we do? You know, is, does, did Murray Rothbard have an answer? Did Mises have an answer? Did, um, you know, does Curtis Yarvin have an answer? Did James Burnham have an answer? Did Hans Hermann Hoppe have an answer? You know, I stopped on Hoppe and I went, Hoppe sounds pretty good. I, I think that if somebody would have started doing this in 1997, th- the American culture could look a lot different now and it may even be too late. I'm not saying that every, I have all the answers. What I'm saying is if you're looking for a political solution, I think Hans Hermann Hoppes is really the only one at this point. And it can only be done in certain areas. I, I, I'm well aware of that. You know, I mean, I think that if Vin wanted to try and do that in Saipan, it probably wouldn't work because there's a culture there that's basically governed for, for, lo- for a long time. But if you're in a small town of 2000 in Texas or Florida or some you know, Idaho or something like that, you could put to, you could use his, what must be done plan um, to fight, you know, to basically fight back. I mean, I, I wouldn't openly, you know, I wouldn't be like, okay, so we have the sheriff on our side. He's deputized all these people come and get us. No, you just chill, you know, you get it together. you, take over the school board, you take over everything, you do what you need to do and go in that direction. But I would, and this is what I've told people, you know, I've had people contact me and go, I want to run for office in my local area. I'm like, okay, are you independently wealthy? Do you have to work? And they're like, no, I'm like, you're not there. You're not there. You're not a natural elite. It's, this is for natural elites. Go read Hoppe. Hoppe talks about natural elites. Go read Vilfredo Pareto. He'll tell you about he'll tell you about what elites look like. Um, <laughs> go read Dare. He'll tell you what elites look like. <laughs> you may not like a lot of what he has to say, but he'll tell you what elites look like. And it doesn't look like the guys at the LP convention, like you know. It doesn't going, look going like around Nancy Pelosi. And, it doesn't look like Mitch Berman McConnell. <laughs> Yeah. Mitch McConnell and Nancy done, yeah. Pelosi, you wouldn't ke- leave your kids with them. It doesn't look like those people. It looks like the person in your community who, when something happens, people instinctively go to them. The kind of person who you would leave your kids with. These are the people. We're always going to have leaders. We're always going to have people who are going to be influencers. These are the people you need to be looking for right now. And these are the people you need to be coming together with. I mean, the person in the the person in the LP, politi- most politicians, I've met maybe three politicians in the last year and a half, two years that I even trust and really only maybe one of them, you know, so I'd be looking in different directions. And, and, and again, that's what the whole post-libertarian thing. And, and why did why did I pick that word? Because I knew it was going to trigger people to. And it was going to cause people to go, all right, what the hell is going on here? And then, you know, it's like everybody's, oh, you're a status now and everything like that. It's, okay, I'm a status. I don't care. They wouldn't, they, they're going to fire you if, they, if you don't put a needle in your arm and you're going to call me a status that I'm, what I'm supposed to care? Jesus, <laughs> you don't even have a job. <laughs> and you, what are you talking about? There's a very interesting, there, there's something very interesting and revealing. And I think, true that rings true about pete's first question to somebody who says that they want to run for office there's something that rings so true and and really i think resonates 
with exactly the framework that I've been operating in. You know, the fact that the first thing that he asks is, are you independently wealthy? Right. Which is saying something. It's it's we've got a value hierarchy. You know, we've got an idea of what is important. And even in context of this conversation, it's like, what makes you elite? Right. And people should take note because it's exactly what I've been saying about what is the age that we're moving into. Right. The age of the merchant, the age of money, the age of pentacles. Right. The, The suit and tarot, the age of diamonds from out of an age of thinkers of the church of all of this. Right. So it's not what degrees do you have? What you know, social connections do you have? Uh, what what uh, uh, institutions are you a part of? All of these things that came out of a previous paradigm. It's basically like, what is your financial capability? What is your connection to, like, how close are you to the center of the network of the merchant energy, of the money energy? Like, because that's what matters at this point. That's what rings true. And I think that it's the reason why uh, you know, addressing Pete and saying, because people, people don't have the right framework and they're not listening. Saying that Pete is a statist for saying that is so wrong on so many levels because the state is a different, is a different paradigm. The state as we understand it is, is the paradigm that's been now purchased as we've seen, if we haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it over the last two years, right? Yesterday, yesterday, what's the announcement? Pfizer CEO says we'll need a fourth shot. Who said it? Was it the CDC director? Was it the director of, of health? Was it the president of the United States? Was it the Free market, was it head bro. Of state? <laughs> it's private business, bro. Private business, bro. So it's like, yeah. Then you listen to what Pete says and it's like, oh, if you step back and look, it's like, oh, why is he able to say that? right? It's be capital. That's why, right? Because what does it take to develop these drugs? Capital. It's capital that's running. It's a, it's capital intensive. Okay. At every level they've, they've, they've bought out the, they have the, the guns of the state protecting their patents. They have the guns of the state emptying out or the state emptying out the treasury to purchase their products to force the people to use their products. That's not the state that we've known. That's something that has supplanted the state that we've known. And what has it supplanted it with? It supplanted it with capital. And this is something that I've been, I mean, this you go back to 2016, the Ascendant Project, right? This project that I did saying, here's the cycle. Here's how it works. We're coming into the Vaisha era. Like, this is what, this is what you should expect. And this is what... This is this is why I think that that um, you know anarcho-capitalism is actually a predictor, like the real philosophy, and and I think Hop is a great example, right? Like the real philosophy that is anarcho-capitalism recognizes this. It recognizes it. Where most people are screwed up, what most people don't understand is they can't. They don't have the framework to be able to separate it from what they understand as government. So what they think we're talking about is the state of a previous age. What we're talking about is the state as it 
like what's who's in control who has the monopoly on violence and it's capital it's capital and and that's and that's the place so then you know and then i guess that's probably where where i figured we would probably end up with is now when we have that description we have to decide well what do we do is how do we approach capital right and this has been a question of the last hundred years like how do we approach this even marx saw this coming like how do we approach capital what do we do it's a concern what do we do is it that we go and we get more capital for ourselves so that we're in control like is that the answer maybe it is i i i don't necessarily know that that's that for me that that's like where it is is it do we do things to mitigate that to make the capital that others have worthless right to to level knowing the capital's there not trying to take it maybe that's the answer too like what does that look like right are do we go in parallel ways because it's a network effect idea so that it's like we're seeing and this is what we see globally right now cut do we start cutting ourselves off so that your capital doesn't even have value in my system like you can't even use your capital as power within my system because we're on different currencies for instance like how do like how does this and because then it doesn't matter how much capital you get right it doesn't matter how much you get cuz it's just, it's like oh i've acquired all the monopoly money and it's like can't spend it at the store like <laughs> oh darn so I think that this should this for me is the new conversation. Right? I think we've gotten the description right. I think everybody's moving in like this is the new conversation of like how do we approach this paradigm? Yeah, and that, and that is more of what I you perfectly helped segue me here into more of what I want to get into today. Um you know, less of the reflection and more of the what is the prescription here and and I don't think either of you or me or any one person has can tell any one person what their exact right path is or what exactly they should be doing on an individual level. But when I look at the three of us and especially it really hit me even more listening to it's, it's crazy listening to the one um, that was on, uh, I think in, in March, 2020. And I think uh, Ben, we were saying, you know, I don't know what it's going to take, but you know, if we get to that point, it's going to be the clothes on my back and we'll be right out of here. And I think it was two weeks later that you were doing another interview from Saipan. You weren't even saying where you were at that point yet. So, I mean, all three of us in one way, shape or another are in very different, well, physical locations than we were two years ago when this stuff started, but also doing very different things in our lives. And I think, and I, I don't want to say that like, okay, unless you leave your job and, and move away, you're, you're doing it wrong. Cause I don't think that's, that's necessarily the case. But I think if, if you're, if the actions that you're taking in your day-to-day -day life are not somewhat different than two years ago, even if you still have, especially actually, if you still have the, the cushy, cushy job, if you still have a lot of the luxuries of the before time or whatever, uh, if you still have that, what better time to, to, you know, what better position to be in to, to start doing the little things here and there. But, and that is really where I want to go with this. Um, and, you know, Pete, I, I kind of want to go to you with this because, uh, you know, between when COVID started and where you are now, thanks to the people that do listen to and support your show, you've been able to completely break away from um, your old, old job, uh, your old nine to five or whatever it may be and completely support yourself. So I wonder if you can just do just with, you know, what you're doing with the podcast. So I want to just, 
see if you could maybe shed some wisdom insight because it's not this thing you just flip a switch overnight and you're independent it's something that takes a lot of hard work and a lot of time and, and that's why i i emphasize this stuff so much it's it's because i know this stuff takes a long time i mean i i've been busting my ass at this just on the fringes while i worked my ass off in my professional career uh nipping at the edges for eight years of this stuff and i know that success or you know becoming more independent is is a process and that's why i i kind of never shut up about it now because it's never too late. And you know, some people are going to realize when it's, when it's not too late, but when they're, when they, they're going to be like me, actually, you know, when I, whenever I'm talking out there, I'm talking to myself at the end of the day, I'm looking at the man in the mirror and you're going to look back and say, but if, what if I started this stuff eight years ago? What if I just took a few steps here and there, but maybe you could just speak on like a few of the steps you took even before COVID start started to be where you're able to take yourself and be completely independent and leave that job behind, not be forced out of it, not not be required to to not leave because of a mandate that came down, but actually to make that decision on your own. Well, I started the podcast in July of 2017, mm-hmm. and by <laughs> by um, I think it was October of 2018. I hadn't monetized anything yet, and I was at the Mises Institute, and I talked to Tom Woods. And I told them how many downloads I was at. I had somebody had given me a given me advice on when how many downloads you wanted to have per episode before you monetized. And it turned out to be really crappy advice because it just so happens that that's where I am right now. So I'd have waited five years, you know, and still be working. You can have zero and start is the real answer. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So. So I went home from the Mises Institute and I started monetizing and um, just built, you know, built the audience from there. Just kept, you know, here's the thing. There are some podcasts out there that I like that just miss episodes. It's like, okay, well, you haven't had an episode drop in two or three weeks. I'm going to get, if I have to pull an old episode from, you know, and call it a best of episode from three years ago. I'm going to put something out three days a week, like I promised. And I just do it all the time. And by the time COVID rolled around, I mean, I was making, I had money rolling in. Um, I probably could have quit at that, my job at that point. But, you know, it was like, I had a really good job. <laughs> it was like, that was a really good paycheck. And when even before COVID, I would say in the summer of 2019, I started interviewing, having conversations like uh, Jeff Dice and I had a conversation about um, getting, you know, not be- caring about the term libertarian anymore. And then I had Paul Gottfried on a couple of times. So, you know, no, no people. I'm talking to no, no people, you know, and talking about no, no subjects and everything. Um, and then COVID rolled around and it's just like, OK, this is fundamentally going to change mankind. How is everyone not talking about this? Just every friggin' episode. So I just wanted to talk about it and I wanted to try and come up with solutions. And I mean, I literally saw like 70% growth over, you know, over 2020 and everything and into 2021. And then the whole post libertarian thing happened right around March or April of 2021. And guess what? downloads went down after that I kept going started having conversations with people who weren't in the libertarian sphere about what was going on 
What's going on in the world? What's the nature of government really? You know, I've read Anatomy of the State a couple times. So I start reading James Burnham. I start reading, what is this all about and everything? And I start getting new people following and new people following. And just in the last month, I've gotten new people following. Why? Because I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be tied to the paycheck. Okay. There, I'm fairly convinced that there are libertarians out there who are make their living as a content creator who would absolutely be frightened to change because they'd be scared that they would lose people. And I'm just, (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying I'm more principled. I'm not saying I have more balls or anything like that. It's just that this is who I'll say it. You do. (laughs) Yeah. This, this is who I am. It's like, if I want to have somebody on who, um, does guest spots on other podcasts that um, you, you can only find that, that aren't on the um, podcatchers, you know, some no, some real no, no podcasts and have them on and talk to them. I'm going to have them on and talk to them. I'm sorry. I'm going to have a conversation about how in the 1930s fascism wasn't only big in Italy and in Germany. It was big throughout Europe and they were winning. I'm going to have conversations about that and people can stop listening. When people stop listening, usually within a month, I get new people listening. I want to make it interesting. I'm not the, I, the, if you, if you hear the, the term non-aggression principle on my podcast ever again, we're probably making fun of it. <laughs> we're probably joking about how this is probably what other podcasts are talking about. This isn't what people, to, the people who are t- commenting to me now about my podcast, they're like, the reason I listen to your podcast is it doesn't sound like anything else out there. Mm. And I mean, Sorry. I mean, I just, that's who I am. And I don't need to pat myself on the back for it. It is literally just who I am. The attitude you see is, I mean, sometimes I'm way over the top on Twitter and I'm doing it for a reason. I'm not doing it because I've lost my mind. Well, I have lost my mind a little bit recently. Oh, once in a while, that's, you might have but a that's, few um, too many vodkas. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the... um but you know a lot of, a lot of what i say that triggers the you know the the good libertarians quote unquote um, a lot of it is calculated and a lot of it is maybe just being serious just where i'm at where you know vin talked about how you know had you know ron paul doesn't have a prescription i immediately said libertarianism doesn't have a prescription for this and I took so much crap for it. And I mean, the cope, all the cope that was the responses is like, especially, oh, it's an odd. It's like, well, then it's nothing. Then it's nothing. You know, and I, I was the one who started saying it. And I, I just, people got so sick of me saying it. You're going to be the most principled person on the boxcar. And people just like, you know, lost their shit. Or, you know, the one that really, really, made people go crazy was stop living in Ancapistan in your head. And because what are you doing? What Vin talked about, you have the description down perfectly, but you have no prescription whatsoever. And 
if the, the prescription is to describe the description more like that, that's, well, that's what you get from a lot of these people, you know, and to, to I, re-describe I, was on, it. I was talking about all this stuff on Tom's, uh, Tom's podcast recently. And he, he asked me a very valid question that, that needs to be asked. He goes, well, how far do you go? How far are you willing to go before you lose your principles? And what I should have said was no one ever brings that up about the colonists, the people in the Revolutionary War. No one ever brings it up that they fought a war basic, based on conspiracy theories. Go read the ideology. Go read the ideology of the American Revolution. I mean, literally, there were tra- there were tracks going around saying they're the church of England is sending people into the churches, into the churches here to um, bring us back to the church. I mean, literally that war was fought using conspiracy theories, but no one ever asked, Oh, how, why were they willing to go so far? I mean, I'm not saying that bringing, I mean, you have the biggest state, the biggest government in the history of the world right now um, with the most weapons, Picking up weapons against this government is the dumbest thing you could ever do. First of all, where, where's the head of the snake? You have no idea where. There's no head of the that? snake. Yeah. Um, but when you talk about, well, you know, maybe get involved in local politics and you can mitigate some of this, um, you know, at least hold it off for a while so that you can get yourself, you know, set up. And now you're a statist. Now you're not a, a principled libertarian anymore. I don't give a fuck. Call me what you want. I don't give a fuck. I, I just want to live and I want to thrive. And the last two years has shown you that the people in charge don't want you to live and don't want you to thrive. So we have a problem. And arguing about it on Twitter and writing articles about how, um, you know, ar- writing articles about how, you know, Libertarians shouldn't back Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis is a Zionist. Okay, but if you lived in Florida for the last two, you know, for the last two years, all except for about fourteen days, you didn't have to wear a mask anywhere. You're, he's fighting so that you don't have to get a shot, even from your job, even from your private business, from the private company, bro. You know, I mean, these people live in La La Land. I mean, I. I don't think it's a straw man to ask if these people still live at home or if they're, they just like, if the last two years, the reason they live in, they live at home, haven't had to suffer anything or, you know, they just, they're wealthy. Like, you know, some, someone I can think of in libertarianism who has been very critical of the post libertarians who is very wealthy. And this hasn't him because he's very wealthy. The the word suffering is is an important one here, I think, and it's certainly something Vin talks about a lot. Um, that you know, I think that is a, a big difference. Is that there are a lot of people that are are still living in what feels like 2016 with their outlook on things, with their approach to messaging, or or 96, whatever it may be. <laughs> um, I mean, if you're if if you're bringing up Harry Brown, if you keep having to invoke Harry Brown at this point. I mean, you should be invoking Julius Caesar at this point. Jesus <laughs> Christ, what the hell's going on? <laughs> um, 
Man, I, I totally forgot what I was going to say now. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you said um, suffering. 2016. Suffering. Oh, the suffering. The suffering, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I. but yeah, I think there are, for various reasons, some people that have suffered less than others, whether whether because they just happen to have, maybe they were already working remote or could easily transfer to working remote, didn't lose income, um, didn't go out much anyway, <laughs> you know, maybe so they weren't really missing much. And yes, they were probably morally outraged by it and probably would agree with the libertarian position that lockdowns and all of this are wrong, but perhaps aren't feeling the reality of it. And and I, I think in many ways that's only delaying their own inevitable suffering from what is what this really represents, what this new reality is that we live in. And uh, Cyprian, if you want to talk about that a little bit, I know I know this is something that you've done. You did, I think, it was just a couple of weeks ago. You did a, a video kind of along these mm -hmm. lines, so maybe you can sort of take it from there. Well, that's the arc. That's what you're describing, right? This is the this is the idea of the arc. It's like, you know, you build the arc when there's not a cloud in the sky. If you start building when you feel the first raindrops, you won't get the arc built. Okay, that's the that that's the symbol that's being used there. Is it's and and again, I mean this is this is an eternal symbol. This is the grasshopper and the ant. That at the moment that you get the description, and where you're like, okay, this is it. You you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a deci decision at that point. You've got to say. And and really, at the moment that you get the description, it demands a transformation. Okay, it demands a transformation because if it resonates, if it resonates with you, because sometimes you'll get the description and it's like like if somebody gives me flat Earth, there's that doesn't demand a transformation from me. Okay, it doesn't at all. But if it does resonate with you, if you're the type of person who you see flat Earth and then it like it really resonates and you're like, yes, it's really flat. The world is really flat. There should be an immediate transformation of you. Like you should be proceeding into a transformation because that necessarily means like if you're like the world is flat, but I'm going to just go on about my business. Right. Exactly as I was like, yes, I just realized the world is flat and there's the greatest conspiracy of all times is being foisted against me. But let me just stick with my nine to five and go about how everything has been in my life. Okay. That's like you're dead. That's, I'm looking at a dead man. Like this is dead man walking. I can't be. You're so dumb that I can't be around you because your level of stupidity and lack of consciousness is actually a th no. I, and I'm being honest here. Like yeah. it's actually a threat to me and my family yeah. to be around somebody who is that stupid. To where you really believe that the world is flat, there is the greatest conspiracy of all times, and you just go about your life like, like nothing ever happened. You are actually dangerous to me. And this is what, like, there's a great, I'm forgetting who wrote this, but it's, uh, it's, it's about like the danger of what is stupidity, and that stupid people are the most dangerous people that exist, right? They're more dangerous than like malevolent people. Because there's there's like this, you know, we love the we love our four quadrants, like red, red pills. We love our four quadrants, right? And so there's like intelligent people. Intelligent people do things that benefit them and benefit others. Okay, then you have bandits. Bandits do things that benefit them and to the detriment of others. Then you have helpless people. Helpless people take behaviors that are to their own detriment but benefit others, right? So the bandits and helpless people 
bandits are, are like predators uh, and the, the helpless are prey, right? Then you have stupid people. Stupid people do things that are detrimental to them and are detrimental to others. That benefit absolutely no one. They are the most dangerous people that exist, and there's way more of them than you than you imagine. Like, they're incredibly plentiful, but you've got to suss them out, and you've got to get as far away from them as you possibly can. This is get okay? your shit and go. That's who you're this going your, from. This is get your shit and go. Mm-hmm. So, if if you're listening in March, right? If you're listening in March, and... Pete and I say something, we're having this conversation or June or April or whenever the heck it is that we're talking. And you're like, that's it. These guys have got it. That That's it. Let me share this. Oh, this is, you got to hear this. You're sharing it with your friends and everything else in your life stays the same. I need to get myself as far away from you as possible. It doesn't matter that you think that what that you agree with me it actually doesn't matter you're actually more dangerous to me than someone who doesn't agree with me right now right because that's someone who doesn't agree with me right now given more information may potentially agree with me in the future right but if you agree with me but you don't take any action and you remain the same you are so dangerous you are so incredibly dangerous to me and my family because what I know about you is that you make horrible decisions. Like given the most life-changing, existentially threatening thing to you, you do nothing. You are so dangerous. So dangerous. And so I think that that's really what, like this is what the suffering is about. And this is, I think, what we're talking about is that like, there's there stupid people are abound and the stupidest thing that you could do is to know is to be like yep i agree the flood is coming continue doing what you're doing i'm just going to continue doing what i'm doing and i'm going to like doubt myself Hmm. like this really resonates because you're not doubting me at that point like you've shared the video the person that you're doubting is yourself like it really resonates with you, you really believe this and you doubt yourself, then I can know that you're always going to doubt yourself, which means you're a, you're a paralyzed person. You're the person who's going to be in a foxhole with me and you're going to be pissing yourself and not able to shoot. Mm-hmm. Right? That's you. I can't have you next to me. <laughs> That's you. So you got to choose when to suffer. This is what I've been saying. Like build the ark means suffer now. Choose, say, this is the description. This is it. Whether I have the prescription right or not, it's not just I'm going to do anything, but I'm going to think about this, look and say, what should I be doing? Study, talk to people because I'm planning to act, not because I'm looking for holes to be shot in what I believe, which is what Mm -hmm. most people are doing, right? Yes. And I've certainly been at that point with things at a time, not with this thing, but definitely at other moments in my life where you might realize something, but you you don't really want to believe it. So you'll look for any little thing that someone says to to just give you enough doubt to say, nah, maybe I'm wrong. So I can just go on and, and do the old thing. And, and this has really been one of my takeaways of the last couple of years, because I can say when 
when I have you on Vin talking about this stuff, when I have you on Pete talking about this stuff, I see the numbers. Those episodes absolutely do on average, but better than, you know, maybe 20 or 30% better than episodes that aren't getting into those same subjects um, more or less. So I know that there's a lot of hate listens in there. Perhaps. I mean, well, I'll take whatever. I don't care why I don't care about people's motivation, but um, you know, but there is evidence anecdotally, at least that the, the conversation and the message resonates with people. And yet when I look at people in our community, whatever you might say, and when I look around over the last couple of years, I, I don't see the actions matching even the amount that that it might resonate. You know, I, I see people easily. I mean, people around me easily under way less threat than me than I was. Way, way. I mean, I'd just say, yeah, way less threat, way less threat than I was. Um, easily caving to some some mandates and easily going along to get along and almost fighting maybe to to live in 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 2019 or in 1996 or whatever it may be. But also while while seemingly recognizing, oh shit, yeah, we're in this new world. Oh, things are going on. But the the it's the it's the disconnect between the actions matching the you know what Vin was saying here, just matching this this new revelation. Like how how could you believe the earth is flat and and not I mean that's why at least I do respect the people that never shut up about it because of how could you ever shut up about it? If you if you really thought that was the case, it would be the you'd have to talk about it every day. I wouldn't, I would you'd be nuts if you didn't talk about it every single day if you 100 percent truly believe that. And just like I haven't really shut up about this stuff in the in the last year and a half or two years because I'm taking action and maybe I don't know if my actions are all the right actions, but I know that I can't just do what I was doing two years ago. Cause for a long time I knew, Oh, I need to get a little more independent. I need to focus on this or that tomorrow, you know, or next week I got a party tonight, whatever it may be. So I don't need to do that right now. There's no urgency. But, but once I saw the urgency, I, I, I would have to really, I would have to internally fight myself if I wasn't going to do something different because I couldn't just go to sleep at night knowing that the water is rising and I don't even have a lifeboat, let alone an ark or any of this other stuff. Um, well, there's, there's this, there, you know, there's maybe there's two types of people that I saw like directly related to the mandates. Right. So I don't expect everybody, cause this is just not in the nature of human beings. Right. I don't expect everybody to be like, okay, I believe it. I know that there's going to be a mandate at my job. So I'm going to do everything right now to make myself independent. I'm going to work so, 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 so hard. I'm going to do all of this. Like this is not in the nature of like people need a catalyst. They need a crisis. They need something, a deadline, right? They need to know, Oh, it's going to be this. Well, when, right. And this is often what people will say to me, timelines. And I'm sure they're saying it to you too. They're like, so what's the timeline? So what's your timeline? What's your timeline? And it's like soon, like way sooner than you think. <laughs> okay. So like do it to start today, like way sooner than you think. But you know, what was interesting for me to watch was as the mandate started coming, you know, these group of people who were like, Oh, you're right. And maybe they were saying that for a year over a year, you guys were right. Yep. This all oh, here it is. It's a, you guys are right. And then it's like, okay, here's the mandate at my job. Well, but I had to like, there were the people who left. They were like, well, I know that I'm going to have to leave. So like I'm planning now. And at least they gave themselves like a month cushion. They're like, you know what? If the mandate comes in at my job, I'm out. Like but my wife and I, we've been planning. At least they're planning. But the people who were like, well, I need to travel. I need to do all of these things. So like, let me just go ahead and roll up my sleeve. And it's like, even though, but I'm against it. Like I'm against the mandates. 
and I mean, we all, this is the, I'm against it and all of that. And it's, I think it gets back to where Pete's, where, what Pete's saying is that it's, it's not just, it's like it, it can be an ought, but when it, when the rubber meets the road, are you even living by the ought? Because it can't just be an ought of words. Like the ought is supposed to be, you ought to have a behavior. It's not just you ought to have something come out of your mouth. Cause at that point is virtue signaling. If it's, if the ought is just what comes out of your mouth, that's just virtue signaling. That's not actually like, you don't even share the philosophy. You don't have the philosophy. And so that's, I, I think those are the, th- those to me, those are, again, those are the most dangerous and scary people. Because the whole entire time, they'll be like, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm with you. And then push comes to shove and it's like, whoa. Those will be the people like, you want me to put him on the boxcar? Okay, I'll put him on the boxcar. That's George Soros, right? The, the, Jew, the, the Jewish Hungarian who starts working for the Nazis and says it was a wonderful time in his life going and rounding up his fellow Jews in Hungary, right? It's like, no, <laughs> you know, and but then, but then is very, very happy to, 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 you know, lay out the fact that he's very proud to be Jewish. You know, <laughs> those are the, those are the dangerous people, dangerous people. Well, I mean, personally, this whole last two years, I mean, I went through a divorce during all this and I went through a toxic relationship that I had to end. And, um, you know, I came out the other side. I mean, mostly <laughs> the reason I was able to come out the other side. Okay. Is because I had set everything up so that if something happened, that was, I mean, something happened that was really bad. Okay. And I had to move 800 miles. I didn't have to move 800 miles, but I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I was able to, to do it. And the only reason I was able to do it is because I made plans ahead of time. Um, if I was still at my, well, I wouldn't still be at my job because I found out that as of January 1st of this year, if I was still at my job, I would have had to take the shot and there was no way I was going to do that. I actually went and when I was coming through Atlanta recently, uh, stopped by and visited a friend of mine and he's like, man, we lost so many people. We need you back bad and everything. I'm like, I'm not taking the shot and you're wearing a mask. You know, so I'm, yeah, this isn't going to happen. Um, it really wasn't that difficult to be able to get, get in line to be able to get things in order to be able to um, be able to do the kind of things that I'm doing where I'm very comfortable in a small town right now. I'm living in Auburn, Alabama, six, seven minutes away from the Mises Institute. Um, go there, go use the library whenever I want all the events. I'm right here and everything. Um, I have friends here. I have people that adult friends, people that I respect that are people that, um, you know, <laughs> you know, are my age. That's very nice. Very nice at this point. Um, and yeah, I mean, I feel like and if like something, if, if I felt like things could get really, if I felt heat, I could get out. I mean, I could, I know ways to get out and I, I know places that I can go where the heat's off 
and everything. And I have set set up for that as well. I mean, you look I'm, like you're in that place, Pete, right now. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my bunker. In, in the man. Institute bunker here. I'm in my bunker. Um, but yeah, the it really wasn't that hard. I mean, when all of this started happening, I took it seriously. I was like, this is going to be really bad. I mean, this is not, this is not going to be good. I mean, I, I under, I overplayed some things. I underplayed some things. I got some things perfectly right. And it's just what, what was going to happen. And I really don't know how a group of people who talk about how the state and any of its actors are immoral and how government will overreach and the ratchet effect, you know, Robert Higgs, you know, and Bob Higgs, look at what he did through this whole thing. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Sad to see. Yeah. And the ratchet effect. It's like, how did you not know that it was going to get to this? And really, if you're at this point and it hasn't affected you, probably because you live pretty remote, because I know people who live remote around the country who've told me I, I've never even worn a mask and everything. And that's friggin' awesome. I mean, you know, God, that was, that, that's amazing. Um, or you live at home, still live at home with your parents. And so that's why you didn't take it so seriously. Or you, like I said, you're wealthy and you were able to mitigate it using money. Well, I mean, that's ta- use that last makes a point, makes your yeah, point, but <laughs> use that last one. About the first, very first thing I talked about is you have to get yourself set up so that you can buy your way out of stuff if you need to. You know, it's like, um, who, 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 I think it's Matt. Matt says, he says, you know, if you have, if you have enough money, you can buy your way out of anything. You know, he's like, you know, if, oh, if you, oh, if you're worried about politics, buy a politician. I mean, this is just reality now. Fuck this libertarian fucking books. I mean, I have all the books. I've read all the books. All the books I, I, haven't helped shit in the last two years. I like how other times I've been on with you, Pete. You have the bookshelf behind you, and now, as you say, I have all the books. You're on, and <laughs> you're in the bunker with. You put them yeah. all away. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's like really. It's like what I mean. What am I reading now? I'm reading political theory. I'm reading reading like history. I'm reading leaders. Dune. Leaders from history. You read Dune. Yeah. I'm reading. I won't say what I'm reading, or else I'm going to catch a lot of crap. But you know, I mean, I'm reading people who wrote in the 1930s and 1920s. You know, I'm trying to figure, like, what were they talking about? What did they see happening? What were they reacting to? You know, I'm just I'm reading about Germany in the 18th century today, and I realize that basically Germany was set up in the 18th century, like the United States is set up for the last hundred years. They had free healthcare. They had free schooling. They had all, they had standing army. They had all of this stuff and everything went to shit and they got into world war one. And now we're basically reliving 19th century Germany right now. Go back and read what's go back and read what some of those people who were in Germany after World War One? who are no-no people, read what they were writing and read their analysis of the last hundred years in G- of Germany. And then maybe you can start understanding what just happened in the last hundred years and especially the last two years. Well, I think that's uh, 
again, you guys are, are excellent at setting setting my segues up for me tonight. Um, that's a good segue to talking about. You know, I I want to really talk about like where you see the next couple of years going, but really, I want to focus more on on these prescriptions. You know, and 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 the people I really ultimately want to talk to are the people that I get shit for talking about, and the people that you guys get shit for talking about. It really is. And maybe I come across too harsh at times. I get it probably because I'm harshest on myself and I see myself in the Mises caucus people. They're my friends. They're the people that I most, that I most see where they're coming from because I've been there. I spent so much time there. It's a long time, like a really long time, guys. I I was a Ron Paul guy before you, anybody heard of Ron Paul. I was a Ron Paul guy. I was reading Ron Paul's columns in 1998. Like, you know, I've, I've been as, immer- as immersed in this philosophy as you can possibly be. I've read all the, all the books you're supposed to and some of the no-no books too. You know, I've, I've, I've been so immersed in this and, and it's, it would, took a lot of self-reflection for me to look and see, not that it was wrong for me to be learning the philosophy or reading those books or anything like that, but to, to, to turn that into my identity and to base all of my words, not my actions necessarily, just my words around enunciating this philosophy everywhere I went because if only I just talked about it enough, surely everybody else would see it. And it's that's so obviously not true after the last couple of years that I can't possibly live in that reality anymore. But but those are the people I want to talk to because those are the people I want to help see that or, or help influence to take some actions. And and whether I don't expect anybody to be able to just you know quit their job tomorrow and start a new life. Although a lot of people can, a lot of people, more people can than realize it. Cause I'll tell you, yes, it's scary. Yes. It's hard. Yes. It's, it can be stressful and it feels like the weight of the world is on you, but if you can do it, it's a lot easier than most people think. Um, especially nowadays where I know a lot of these people have skills because I, I see them utilizing them out on the internet. You know, I know people have skills out there that they just maybe don't have the confidence or they've been taught that you just have to keep this job your whole life. But you know, I, I, those are the people I want to influence the most because those are the people I care about the most. Like I have a lot of friends that are those people. So, and maybe Pete, you could speak on this even more because I think you were the most recently, you had a sort of a dalliance. I, I remember talking to you and I think it was like June of, of 2020. And I know you were pretty hardcore about the Mises Caucus from the beginning. Heck, I hosted the podcast that had all, all you guys on there. Tom Woods, uh, Jason, Jason Stapleton, uh, you. I mean, that was like, we were leading the charge of this. But I, there's no way I could sit there in 2020, 2021 and look at that and, and see how that was a, a productive strategy or even a remotely good idea. But there are a lot of people that obviously still see the same way. So can you speak to like how your thought process changed so much? Because I remember talking to you and you said, yeah, I don't think I'm really doing this music caucus thing anymore. And I was like, oh, why not? And you're like, well, COVID. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course. How could we be doing the same thing we were doing before? Uh, but maybe you can walk people through through kind of your process here. Um, how you kind of, and you, you left and then kind of came back for a second and then really left. But, but I really want to speak to the, to those people and, and welcome them with as open arms as I can, because if I ever come across too harsh, it's because I'm really talking to myself. Sure. But, yeah. yeah we're always talking to our, our past selves yeah. if we're being honest with each other and we're growing. Um, so as soon as that, as soon as it started, I, I left the Mises caucus, I came back in when you know, it was like, okay, so Dave Smith's going to run for president and everything like that. And would try to redo, try to re-kick the Ron Paul um, revolution. Okay. I was like, all right. So I have friends who are doing this. So it's like, I want to do this. Also, I'm being 
welcome with open arms. I'm being flown to places to speak and everything like that. So yeah, I want people to understand leaving the Mises caucus, I lost a lot, you know, speaking out against what I thought that what, what I think they're doing wrong. I lost a lot. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, why would I do that? Did, I'm not, I'm not a self-sabotager. You know, I mean, I'm, I've never been that. And, you know, recently in my personal life, people know a lot about what happened in my personal life. I got the hell out of there as soon as I could, you know, because it was just, it, it was hurting me. It was hurting my reputation. And Jeff Paul was, <laughs> his conversations with him, he probably guided me better than anyone through you know, some guy. of the problems I have in my life. He's one of the best. I can't wait to get back out there so I can visit him. Because that was one thing I love about the music club is that they flew me to Seattle. And I got to hang out. I got, I got to go to Jeff's and we got to talk. And he's probably one of the best people I've ever met in my whole life. And anything he says, I listen. Um, so I just came to the conclusion after a while that if after reading Hoppe and looking at looking at politics in general, if you are going to play in the political theater, you are going to have to want, you're going to have to seize political power and you're going to have to use political power. And the libertarian party and ideology is just averse to that. It has, they won't, they won't do what it takes in order to do it. So, you know, I mean, I know that there are some libertarians have been um, elected locally. I know that Pennsylvania has done a good job of like running libertarians in like uncontested things to get elected. But what I'm talking about, I'm looking at a big picture here. I'm looking at like literally having getting to the point of having private cities where you're where you can be that much of an influence over a small. And when I say city, that's let's let's call it town. Let's call it Berg. Let's call it, you know, Hamlet. And I just don't see in the Libertarian Party being willing to to do that. So it's like, you know, Hoppe says, you know, you do it through the Republican Party. And if you're going to play politics now, you're going to do it through the Republican Party. I mean, the Democrats are like so out in left field. I mean, they're in fantasy land. I mean, cut, cutting people's, they want to cut your kids' dicks off. I mean, they want to pump them full of chemicals. They, they don't know what gender they are. They don't know what sex they are. I mean, they're out of control. And it's one of the things that, you know, Vin Cyprian's talked about is why did people, why are people running back to church? Why is there like a revival? Because they're looking for some grounding in reality. And a lot of people hear that and they're like, well, the church doesn't have any reality. Well, and there's another problem with libertarianism. Well, but, one of my, uh, one of my favorite, quotes of Vin's in the last whatever months. Uh, I think it was on Adam Patrick's podcast where you described kind of the left and the Democrats and you said, everything about you is death. <laughs> and when you see it, and it's so true, when you see it that way, like literally everything, everything, single thing they want to do results in not procreating and not creating more life. So of course people are running away from death and trying to run to at least something that's offering them life. Sure. Unless, so unless they're one of those dangerous people. So again, yeah, there right. we're back to that, right? Like you're no, you're dangerous. I got to get away from you. So yeah, I mean, I just if take care of yourself first, figure it out first, and then if you are going to play politics on the local level, you are going to pr 
probably have to do some things that aren't going to be very libertarian. I mean, it, you know, we, we get accused, I get accused and Andrew gets accused and, you know, anyone who's talking about this gets accused of, Oh, you just want to punish your enemies. It's like, that is a very, you know, you get power to punish your enemies. Well, I mean, <laughs> the history of politics is punishing your enemies and rewarding your friends. Okay. If you're going to play politics, you better live in reality. And, you're just going to have to do, you know, I remember mentioning to somebody that, you know, Hoppe talked about how, you know, the first thing you have to do is convince property owners in your town, net taxpayers in your town, that people who aren't next tax net taxpayers don't get a vote. And that includes the police. That includes the public defenders. That includes anyone who works for government. And this person was so offended by that. And I'm just like, that is what, democracy you know that that, that is li liberalism that is what liberalism has been teaching you uh, that everybody has to have a vote well it's like if you don't have any skin in the game it's not a i mean anyone's gonna vote them uh, you're gonna vote yourself free stuff i'm sorry um so yeah i mean basically all the people are fine with felons not being able to vote by the way like yeah, you know, yeah. or murderers or what have you who automatically lose their their right to vote yeah. they're fine with that most, so, not I mean, what I've said about the Mises Caucus, and I got this from Tho Bishop, is they'd be a great lobby group. If they picked like one or two subjects, like, you know, National Association for Gun Rights has gotten what? Constitutional carry in like 15 states in the last 10 years? I mean, they're the most successful lobby group in this country that no one has heard of. You know, I mean, as far as like for advocating for liberty, increased liberty, and actually getting things done. Um, I, I think that they would be a great lobby group. They can, they get, they can, um, they raise funds. And I think that if they just picked one or two things, the LP, I mean, li literally, I, and I, I wrote this, I don't know if I, I put it out on Twitter. I said, literally, what I hear is that we're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars to save the term libertarian. Because there's a libertarian party, we don't want people to think that libertarianism is this. So we need hundreds of thousands of dollars to put a whole bunch of people in there to make libertarianism this. Fuck the term libertarian. It sounds absurd. Like if someone was just tuning in, they'd think you were like making a joke or something. No, that that's actually the stated goal. That's literally what everybody it's literally the argument everybody the makes. Fucking goal. Because yeah. no one can make the argument it's to get power, and no one does really. They just say no. We got to make it so libertarian means what we say it does. Why the know. fuck does anybody Spending. care what libertarian means? They, they just locked down the fucking country, and they're forcing people to take fucking. Uh, Hor fucking um, gene therapy to keep their jobs and you care what a term this is i wrote this down here what have i been saying mark identity people are so fucking caught up in their identity i'm a libertarian no you're a man or a woman that's your first thing then you're a wife or a mother or a husband or a father that's what's important next. Fuck being a libertarian. What? What? You have nothing else in your life that you have to fucking grasp onto a term, and it's a fucking ideological. I mean, you're you're the people who make fun of Republicans for for being like, oh, I'm a Republican. Also, it's so identitarian. 
These are the same people who make fun of white nationalists or people who are like, oh, I'm white and I'm proud of being white. You, how different is it that you're like you're proud of you read Murray libertarian? <laughs> I mean, well, this is the atheist retarded. problem. Oh, well, because well, God. Yeah, this is Well, this is the atheist problem. That is the problem with like, as you so you said many times, libertarianism has an atheist problem. Well, the atheist problem, the problem with the atheist is a lack of identity because a somebody who has religion is never lacking an identity. Like that's even even if you're a Marine, it's God first. Right. God country. Right. So it's like, you know, and a thing about a nationalist, again, a nationalist, like they're never lacking an identity because it's like identify with the country. So it's just like down, down, down. And the problem with the libertarian is it's so far down on the level of useful identities like libertarian is the least useful. If that's what you lead with, it's the least useful identity you could possibly have. Okay, you get there's like a the pedophile. Billion, you get called a pedophile on your fucking Twitter. This is what I'm saying. Like, there's like a billion Christians. There's a billion Christians, right? And it's like I'm Christian. Well, that's a like in terms of identities, that's like global. It's across all of these things, right? It's got a historical context. There's all of these things associated with it, right? And this is one of the things, like smart, smart grifters, they'll always be like, I'm a Christian. I'm a, they'll always lead with they're a Christian, right? Because it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a really useful identity. It's so useful. So go with what the grifters are going to use. Go with the person who's going to con you. Go with the person who wants your money. They're going to be like, go with the what the politician will. I'm a Christian. Right. Go with that first, because they're like, they know what identity is useful. They're faking it. Right. But then it's like, I'm an American. So then people get mad at the flag waving, you know, all of this. And it's like, wait a minute. But that's heavily useful. Like, that's a very, very useful identity. Do you know how many allies you get, like, immediately by just pulling the flag out? Like you're that's a smart person. That's a person doing a smart thing, right? You're the person who's like, not only am I going to take on this identity, but then I'm going to alienate like 50% of the people who also claim this identity and tell them that they're not libertarians. Like, so I'm going to take 50% of my allies right now and cut them out. Not only am I going to do that, but I'm actually going to like fight, actively fight them, right? This is dumb. You're a stupid person, okay? Because identity is what keeps you alive. Identity is survival for human beings. We are social creatures, okay? Like if you go and you look at most, in most tribal languages around the world, indigenous languages, what the people call themselves, right? So we'll be like, oh, this is a Hopi tribesman or Yaki or these. You go and you look at all of the names. Almost all of them mean the people. Like in their language, the word for the people is what, in other words, humans is what we call their tribe. Because when we ask you, well, what do you call, call yourselves? They were like, well, we call ourselves humans. Because there's only us and them, Right. So their identity was like down. It's, it's at the highest level species, human, right? They are the, 
so this is this is what the problem this is the atheist problem the atheist problem is a problem of identity the the real problem that religion solves is religion solves the identity problem and christianity in particular islam followed afterwards and did the same like was able to like utilize the form it doesn't have the content inside but it's able to utilize the form before that it was just tribal like before that there there was no if you, your religion your identity spiritually didn't go past your national borders right every nation had a god the god of the canaanites the god of israel the god of this the god of that the god of gods of rome the gods of greece the gods of this so your identity was limited it's nationalism right in your spiritual but the idea that oh no here's this identity that's it's the only true identity that goes beyond tribe beyond nation beyond all of those would be a religious identity it's the only one we have it's it like there because the 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 worldly people who are like i'm a citizen of the world i'm a global those are the same people who are breaking people down into the smallest categories possible right they're not and why do you want an identity that's bigger than everything? Because the larger your community, the better the chance of your survival. Like the the high and the higher the trust, since we're having the conversation, right? If you want a high trust society, what is the what is the trust? Shared identity. You can't separate trust from shared identity, right? So why wouldn't you naturally go towards the identity that gives you the chance for the largest high trust society? This is the atheist problem in libertarian libertarianism and some people might say like you know well what's so wrong with libertarian being my identity why do i have to go read a book why do i have to go find god or whatever why why can't why can't i convene with people who share my ideals share my principles and why can't we go on a road tour and go to conventions and uh, but uh, you know what what is the problem why is it a problem to have to not have atheism to to have to not have a religious based identity to have a, a philosophy based identity because this person did was this person were they in space for the last two years <laughs> well, yeah, like were I'm, they in, were they in a coma what happened were they in stasis did they not you, the reason look we've been talking about these things right florida okay there's a there's an identity there there's a Flor florida identity because you took on that identity and because you became part of that tribe you you didn't have to go through certain things, right? That it's it's about what tribe are you going to be a part of? Because there is a tribe out there that is an uber tribe. That is the Church of Woke. And this is what I've been trying to communicate to people. Like, that is, people don't even know they're a part of it. And that's the trick. Like, you're going to be subsumed. Libertarianism can't stand against the Church of Woke. That's the problem. That's yeah. the problem. So you have to ask yourself, like, do you do you want to be zombified? Like, there's if you want to be zombified, there's no problem with you adopting libertarianism as your libertarian as your soul as your core identity. But libertarianism can't stand against it. Okay, so just know that it's temporary. Like, it's either it's temporary in terms of the title, or it's temporary in terms of the content. So in other words, you'll still be able to call yourself a libertarian, but it won't mean anything because you'll just be awoke calling yourself a libertarian. You'll just be a, a libertarian zombie, and zombie is way more 
important than libertarian. Then at that point, it's just a name, right? And it's, it's, it signifies nothing. So the question is like, what is the identity? In other words, what is the tribe? What is the group that one has values that I want to follow and two can stand against the church of woke? That's it. That, that's the calculus. The thing you the thing you also have to understand about the Church of Woke is the Church of Woke exists because they played the long game. They for a century, it's a century long march through the That's why people don't even know they're in it. They think they're just since living the garden in reality. Since yeah. the since the garden. They, since they the garden, yeah, since yeah. the garden of Eden. <laughs> but but here's long the thing. March, Real long a very game. long so, march. So here's the thing. Okay, you re- we had the Ron Paul revolution. What what did it accomplish? I mean, a student students for Ron Paul became young Americans for liberty who did some great work and eventually got taken over by leftists. What's going to happen now? Okay, you're say you do have uh, you know oh an, another million people in two in 2024 join libertarianism. They don't control the they don't control the press. They don't control the academy. They don't control big tech. What happens? The same exact thing. It's just, it doesn't go, you have more people reading books. It doesn't stop the, mar- it, it doesn't stop the great reset, whatever anybody wants to think that is. It doesn't stop the World Economic Forum. It doesn't stop um, you know, the Trilateral Commission. It doesn't stop what seemingly is like, it seems like business and, and corporate interests in this uh, in this country have just basically taken over so you really can't talk about them because it's a private company bro um how does a ron paul revolution at this point solve anything when you don't when you can't communicate that to children when there is no effective um, oh well everybody just homeschool not everybody's going to homeschool Okay, if you can get if you got 10 percent of the people in this country homeschooling, you could probably start a revolution, but it's going to be more like one or two percent. And the rest of those 98 percent are sending their kids to government Prussian schools, woke camp. They're going to come out as nice little progressive soldiers. You're raising a kid who is probably going to maybe be an entrepreneur or something, but is going to have a zero time preference for power. And the other 98% of those kids ha- come out having a high time preference for power, want to get involved because they've, they're basically been, they're become evangelicals for this religion that they're not willing to die for. So, I mean, I don't think <laughs> it's a religion, but no one's willing to die for it. That, that's one good thing that we have going for us. Um, but they but, will, but they will be, they will die for it. They will be sacrificed to it. They're just, it'll just be a, they won't understand that that's what's happening. Right. Which is a great trick. Well, and that's what the whole transgender industrial complex is. It is sacrificing their whole future where they're not, where not only are they mutilating themselves, but they're it's the transgender industrial complex is another way to reduce the population because these people aren't going to have kids. But so you have this Ron Paul revolution. Great. But you have no weight how are you carrying it forward? How are you teaching it to children? How, I mean, you're just, you know, I love, 
I love the idea of homeschooling. I've known homeschoolers personally since the nineties. Those kids are great now. I know, I know some of them, the ones that I knew then, and now they're all grown up and everything, but all of their neighbors went through woke university and look at the world. Now, if you're not willing to, at least in your neck of the woods, do something about what edge, what kids are being taught on a grand scale, this is your future. I don't know how the Ron Paul restarting the Ron Paul revolution helps that. I think Andrew is right when he says we do not need, you know, we do not need 10 million people. We need like 20 people in little in little towns that can t- that are willing and are motivated to ch- make change. And you can do that. There's, there's, I mean, imagine having what change would there be if there's a million libertarians in New York City? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. It wouldn't change anything. I'm sorry. You could fight with me all day on it. It would not change anything. So great. Ron Paul revolution. You'll have a bunch of, I mean, it'd be great for the Mises Institute because they'll sell a lot more books and everything and people will be, you know, and um, I think they've always, they've always done good work. They'll always do good work, but really, I mean, I just don't see, I don't see what plan is. We've we've taken shit because we're like the things that we're trying to put in place have a finish line. And we know for a fact that's not going to it's going to be a bumpy road and it may not even work. But I don't even see a finish line. I saw a debate on Mark Claire's show where the where somebody kept asking over and over again. So what's the end? And the question was not an, the answer that the person who was asking the question kept getting was not an end. It was the first step. I'm just throwing, we're saying, yeah, maybe now's a good time to try and figure out exactly all those things that we've been reading for all those years, the Rothbard, the Mises, especially the Hoppe. Let's try it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And let's see, maybe they kill us. I don't want to be a martyr. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and talk about being a martyr. But let's, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. You know, let's give it a shot. And if we fail, we failed. We we may only get half of what we wanted. It's still fucking better than what we have right now, and it's better than just go, going to conventions and preaching to the choir. I mean, I. I'm trying to talk to people who, when I redid the show, my idea was I wanted to introduce more right-wing kind of ideology, historic right-wing ideology into libertarianism and bring right-wingers in and teach them more libertarianism. And (laughs) Pete just joined the Republicans party and shut up. (laughs) Comment. (laughs) That's so perfect. Um, that was and the funny thing is, I don't know if it's it's playing along or it's sarcastically or if it's a real comment. It's like, that's pose law right there. That's either way, law. it's be- either way, it's beautiful. Either way, it works. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> that's that was that's my whole goal is like okay, trying to teach libertarians that power is not something that you need to be allergic to, and trying to teach people on the right that you need to come over a little bit. You need to think about liberty a lot more, and you need to think about economics a lot more so it's you know i mean 
maybe fuck maybe i'm you know maybe i'm fucking tilting at windmills but i'm gonna give it a shot and i I really honestly see that making more of a difference than going and going to conventions and and talking and preaching to the choir i'm sorry I, i mean i just you know mark come on you know I, I love some of the people in there. I mean, we talk about them privately and we're like, these are some of the best people we know. Yeah. Just we're, we're like, how are they not saying this? That's why I'm so, that's why I won't shut up about them. You know, if I, I <laughs> if it's people I don't care about, you know, I'm not yeah, trying to find all my woke friends and, and wake yeah. them up. I don't give a shit what they do. You know, I, I, these well, are the people even, I care even, about. even more so, right. Never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. Hmm. I think that that's what people misunderstand is that they're like, Oh, you're being a, you're being a hater. You're being all of this. And it's like, listen, <laughs> like when my, if, if, if these people were my enemies, I would say nothing. Like if I think that my enemy is screwing up, the last thing I'm going to do is tell him where he's making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like, th- are you, are you kidding? I'm, I'm, I, I am way more calculating than that. Okay. Like I actually want to win. I really do. I really, really do. And so it's like the oh, I'm who talks to the other team, right? What who who that wants to just think about it? This is where, but this is what I think that this is people who have never who have never actually won at anything in their life, maybe who have never actually stepped on the field. I'm thinking these are people who have like never played sports, especially not combat sports. And never been punched in the mouth. Never been punched in the mouth for sure. Never fought because imagine that. Imagine being like. Okay, ding ding, round ends, and you you stand up and you walk over to your opponent, and you're like, "Hey, you know that hook that you're throwing? You're just <laughs> not catching me. You're just not catching me, right? A like more rotation. I'm, I'm acting. I'm acting like you're you're hitting me, but like I'm actually like the, my feint is slipping that. Like every single time I'm slipping that. Okay, so like aim a little lower. You know, you suck because you're not hitting me. No, 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 no. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. Oh, you're really getting me with that, man. Keep doing it. 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 And it's like people don't, I think maybe it's the the social media type of world that we're in where it's like, yeah, you know, the people telling you to keep going, like if you really are a conspiracy theorist and you really are skeptical of the government, like the people telling you to keep going should be just as suspect to you. And maybe this is just coming from my hacker background, right? That like, yeah, the person who's telling you continue to do, do this, like that's the Fed. The Fed is not the person who's like, hey man, slow down. Like, don't do that. What you're doing is not going to work. You should do this, right? That's not it because you're not smart. So like, that's the real, that's the real mistake. Like I know that I, that I know that I make mistakes, but one of the things that I like is like, if, if a lot of people who want to go in the direction that I'm going and I know that, or it, even smart people, people that I trust or people that I respect or people that other people respect are like, yo, man, that's a big mistake. I'll take a second to think about it. But if there's just random people who are like, that's right, that's you're absolutely right. I, I make it a point to ignore them. Like absolutely ignore those people because like, within because that's exactly what you would get from somebody who wants you to fail you know and this is what i think is the the misunderstanding the great misunderstanding and unfortunate unfortunately with libertarians unfortunately with the culture that we're in 
like we're in a very nihilistic culture, especially whenever you're around young men online, they will cheer you on to your destruction as, as like they will cheer you on to your destruction. Let's just put it like that. Nobody's cheering for you to like, for things to be good for you. Okay. Especially if they're a basement dweller and things are crap for them. If, if you're getting cheers, they're cheering you on to your destruction, right? Like this is, so who are the people who would not be cheering you on to your destruction? Well, it's the people who paid. This is one of the things that I've noted, right? Like if you're going to get an echo chamber, make sure that everybody paid to be in the echo chamber. Those are the only people that you should listen to. Because the one thing that the person cheering you on for your dis- for your destruction is never going to do is pay a high price. And I'm talking like not just $2, something like that. If you want an echo chamber, make it a couple hundred dollars for them to get into that echo chamber. Nobody who's cheering for your destruction is going to give you $100 for anything. Right? You've just weeded it out. From there on, you could trust what's That's a hell of in. a plug for the Lions Liberty Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lions Liberty. We well, do have a hundred dollar level. Sub, well, a Substack too. I remember I yeah, was yeah. when I started my Substack. I, Curtis Yarvin said, only allow people who are subscribed, um, who who are giving you a monthly amount to comment, and it we it just weeded out. I mean, that's He's why when you dummy. go when you go yeah. under my when you go under my stuff. All the comments make sense. And sometimes even, I mean, the, and the ones that are disagreeing, they're disagreeing in good faith. Mm-hmm. And that is, yeah, that makes sense. And th- it's also one of those things. It's like, if I get, a, if somebody contacts me through Patreon, I'm eager to hear what they have to say. Exactly. If somebody contacts me who, you know, is, is a supporter, I'm eager and I'm, you know, I have people contact me all the time. Oh, you should get this person on the show. You can get this person on the show. Guess who I listen to first if when people come to me with recommendations for guests? Yeah, yeah the people who paid. Yeah. People because money talks and bullshit walks. Mm-hmm. And and this is also, by the way, like, you know, Bitcoin, of course, but this is this is the underlying aspect of proof of work. It's it's how you get around civil attacks, things like the Byzantine generals problem. Make people pay. Skin in the game. I'm not going to listen to anybody who doesn't have skin in the game, right? I'm not, I'm not like, it's actually a a giant, again, it's dangerous for me and it's dangerous for my family for me to be listening to somebody who hasn't demonstrated to me, who hasn't signaled to me that like, okay, yeah, I'm willing to invest in this. I'm willing to show you. And, and again, this is the age that we're in money talks, money talks. And, and what I see is I see a lot of people who are, and not just money, right? But reputation as well. So it's like, if you're a non who has never paid me anything, you're an anon who's never paid me anything and you say something, I can just ignore you. Or I can actively do whatever, you, whatever you're saying for me to do, I can actively do the opposite, right? But these are, and, and again, this is this is where people need to like, here's the prescription. The prescription is, and this is the, I I think that this is the principle. The principle is to say, where are you? Where are we? What is the world that we live in? Because as, as you mentioned, like people quoting Harry Brown, people talking about a Ron Paul revolution, all of this, it's like, you are living in a time that's even before social media. Like, 
every your enemies let's take this war in ukraine and russia this is a war being fought on social media mm-hmm. this is a war being fought on social media right wars are now fought on social media okay that's the world that you live in so how are you going to displace locus the the loci of power and all of them have already they're already adopting social media is very very important right how they already are living in the real world of course they are because you can't have power you can't uh, you can't get power unless you understand the world that you live in like it's a it's a, a presupposition right you can't you can't acquire power unless your actions reflect reality the fact that you have power is the proof that your actions reflect reality right which is the reason that you were supposed to be reading the books in the first place which is the reason why you go back and you look at like, well, what was going on in Germany before World War II? Who were the people who acquired power? What were they reading? Right? Because, we, because we're in this time, maybe I should be reading what they were reading because like these are eternal principles. It's not like human beings have become something different in 150 years. It's not like the psychology of a human is different. No, it's not. Not. Absolutely not. These are the same people. Right? And and so that's the, this is the issue. This is the issue that I see. And this is the prescription moving forward. The prescription moving forward is first, we have to acknowledge what is the world that we live in. And part of that is we have to articulate what this world is that we live in. And then we need to be looking at people and looking for people who can articulate the world as it exists right now. And I will tell you something, those will not be people who are very visible. Those will not be people with hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, okay? Maybe people with hundreds of thousands or millions of followers will be able to introduce you to some of these people, right? At best, some of those people who have a platform can introduce you to it, but the people who have the platform, if they're talking, that's not the new new. Like that's not a reflection of reality as it exists because the reality that we're living in right now is brand new from a functional standpoint it's only existed for the last two years so what you're going to be so it's going to be people that you've never heard of and you've got to be looking for that once we articulate the world that we're living in then we need to start talking about okay how can we where are the loci of power we have to recognize power whether you want it or not you have to recognize who's got it Okay, like you have to. And then you've got to decide, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to try to get some for myself? Am I going to try to supplant this person? Am I going to try to mitigate this power if it's malevolent against me? What am I going to do? Right. This is what's missing. And what's crazy is this is what the libertarian thinkers were doing that all of these people are reading the books of. If you go back to the time, they were talking about who's got the power. And they were talking about then what do we do? Like, what is the nature of the world we live in? Anatomy of the state, right? Boom, right there. What is the nature of the world you're living in? What is the environment that you're living in? Okay, now what do we do about it? Right? And it's like, it's not just, first off, not all of those things are relevant anymore. Okay? They're not all relevant you got to be able to know where you're at to pull out the relevant parts. This is what's missing in a big way, a big way, right? And it's, it's, 
people have got to be actively looking for it. If you're not, if you're just going to be passively being fed stuff, you have to know that you're like three to four years behind. And that's not going to cut it because the world changed in the last two years. Well, gentlemen, uh, coming up on almost two hours here, and uh, got two episodes, and, and, and but yeah, I, I could do four more hours of this. But um, just as we wrap things up, um, maybe you guys could give me, you know, maybe maybe you can give me some some sound bites that I can look back on in two years and say, oh my god, they were right about this shit too. So if you could just speak on, um, I'll start with you, Pete. If you could just speak on. Where, where you see yourself, what you what you personally are actually going to be working on in the next couple of years, whether it's more of your political stuff or your own personal stuff, and maybe some thoughts or predictions or whatever you want to do about where you see some certain things going in the next couple of years. That's it's very open-ended, me. I know. you. <laughs> well, it's hard for me to predict that because I just allow things to happen. You know, I didn't know that I was going to be talking about the things that I'm talking about right now, six months ago, even a couple months ago. Um, I mean, I think that I will probably won't be here uh, in Auburn, um, see what Florida is like and maybe uh, go one state down or who knows, but I'm just going to keep growing and keep reading and keep looking at history and keep building my, you know, building up what I need to build up so that I can do what I need to do. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, it's really it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where this podcast is going to be in two years. I can tell you this, as far as I'm concerned, it will still exist and it may be more than three episodes a week at some point, but I do want to branch out to talking to, more people. So I'm not going to sacrifice principles for that. The principles that I hold dear, which are not fantasy land principles, um, principles that, you know, I was raised with that I'm trying to go back to. And yeah, I mean, I just, I'm going to see where everything is going and try to cut it, try to head it off at the pass. And, it's going to be more, I can tell you this, it's going to be more about prescription every single day. There's, there's going to be a lot of theory because I think you need to, and a lot of history, because I think you need to understand history. Um, a, there's going to be a lot more world war one, because I think that's where a lot, a lot of this started and that's where we need to look at. But the, um, but I just, I just see gro- growing and growing because that's all I want to do. I do not want to stay, stay stagnant. I do not want to, I do not want to be talking two years from now about what I'm talking about this month. I just, it's going to be a different world and we have to change with it. If you're still having the same conversations, if you're still having the same, still having the same conversations that you're having now that you have two years ago and you're still having the same conversation now, I can almost guarantee you that you have the same amount of audience or you've lost audience. Because a lot of people out there are coming to podcasts looking for answers. And if you don't have those answers and you're still talking about bullshit from two years, uh, from two, two and a half years ago, you're just not growing. So I think that that explains so much of the arc your podcast went on, because, you know, when when you started 
the naughty talk and, you know, used first libertarian, you when you do something like that, you are going to deflect away. You're going to shake the tree a little bit and def- and push some of the people away that are because you're, you're breaking out of the bubble and some people don't want to be out of the bubble. So you are going to push certain people away by doing that. But the great thing about that is, especially in your case, Pete, you're so consistent. You, you are super consistent, uh, you know, three days a week. Uh, look, I, I sometimes struggle to, to be consistent and get the one, but I always get the one. But you doing the three, it's phenomenal. And the fact that you Thank keep you. plugging away and keep leaning into who you are because who you are is an inquisitive person, an inquisitive mind that just wants to, you know, absorb knowledge and you portray that to your audience. So yes, you're going to reject a lot of the people in that original libertarian bubble that you built things around, but you're going to at the same time, open yourself up to so many more curious minds like yours. So that's my, that's my spiel about you, but uh, moving on to uh, to Cyprian, maybe you could also get into a little bit of, of, the, the stuff that you're working on, um, some mm-hmm. of which I'm somewhat privy to, but you know, the, the kind of the projects you're working on there inside Saipan, you know, especially related to the crypto stuff and, and how mm-hmm. you see that as a part of, of what's going to unfold in the next few years. Well, I mean, as, as people who have followed me know, and I mean, by the name change, uh, as well, you know, I, in, in through this, you know, my transformation, I, I decided that I was going to be transformed by this. And I mean, transformation is probably the watchword of the last two years for me. And it's something that I keep, I I want to not only transform myself, but I want to be a catalyst for the transformation of others in in whatever form that takes, right? But hopefully it's with it to provide an orientation. And of course, the orientation that I've been given, which is, you know, I'm a spiritual person. People who know me and have been following me know that like spirituality is a gigantic part of my life. It always has been. Um, very much in like the, the, the pragmatic and real sense of it is that I want to like viscerally, my spirituality is very visceral. It's not, uh, psychological. It's not any of those things. It's like, I really want to touch it and feel it. And so Orthodox Christianity has be, has, has become my guide. Christ has become my guiding light and through Orthodox Christianity, right? I've been exposed to Christianity in my life, had nothing until I ran across this, you know, until I ran across this framework. And so what I've been guided to and what I'm working on and my, what my understanding is as it stands now, which is ever emerging and ever unfolding, what I am being guided toward is an understanding that there's a landscape of a new, fi- a new financial paradigm. And this new financial paradigm is, a dig- is digital in nature and that there are financial networks that are coming into being. So we have what's happening in the West. A lot of what's happening, this is a thread that I would tell everybody to follow. If you're looking for a a soundbite of something to look at in two years, I'll tell you, here's the thread. The thread is all about digital currencies, central bank digital currencies. And if you're looking for a thread that's going to tell you about this current war that we're looking at right now, war, what the war is really about, There was a, well, we can't get it now because Sputnik, RT, and all of these, we can't really look at them anymore, right? So we've cut ourselves off from that. But the, uh, I believe they're they're called the Eurasian Economic Union. People should go and look that up, the Eurasian Economic Union, um, and including China. They just had a meeting and uh, March 11th, you, this is, you know, follow this thread. I just tweeted about it. At the end of the month, they're going to have together their like white paper, discussion paper, whatever for their currency network. 
We cut them out of SWIFT, all of that. Guarantee you it will be a digital currency. It will probably be based on crypto. one of the cryptocurrencies. Maybe it'll be blockchain-based. Maybe it won't, like the US CBDC. But it will be that. This is what it's going to be. Competing financial networks. And knowing that capital is the key. If you can have your wealth removed from you with the push of a button, you're on the wrong network. And right now, there's th- these people don't understand the, the absolute sense of urgency. If we want any of the things that Pete is talking about to take place, the individuals who are doing it must have must be operating on a network, a financial network that is not the financial networks that are coming. Like those financial networks are control grids that prevent the things that Pete is talking about from happening. And it necessarily means that we step outside of a lot of the sort of uh, pragmatic steps that, for instance, you would see from things that are published by the Mises Institute, because those forms of money will are going to be gone. Right. So we're going to need to there are still some economic principles, of course. Right. And those things will be from classical economics through Austrian economics. But our, our understanding of these philosophies that are written when we have either metal specie or pay, and or paper that is either tied or not tied to this metal specie, we're stepping into something new. The people who want to control you have decided to step into this something new. They've been building this for decades, actively, specifically for control, because money is control. At the end of the day, it's control. And so... This is what people need to be looking at. What, I'm, what I've been guided to, it's all been through prayer. It's all been through an orientation towards God. Like what I've been guided to is work on this project of ha- enabling there to be these financial networks that future generations can work on that are outside of the multiple control grids that are going to come up around the world. Without that, we like it's curtains. Right. So what I'm being guided to is that. And this is the reason why, you know, it's not just me doing it, but there weren't other people doing it. So it's allying myself with those people and also creating new ones. Right. So the evangelism is not just that it's creating new ones. So it's like teaching people what these systems are, teaching people how to become to contribute to these systems, teaching people how to code and to participate in this without that, without a critical mass, without this stuff open. You know, and all of the things that are built to be put out into the open, without that, we're in a lot of trouble. And it's something that no one's working on. Now more, now hundreds of people are working on it because I'm training hundreds of people to be working on it, right? Most people don't understand that it's important yet. So hopefully this is this is over the next two years is to is to build out the number of people because we still have a little bit of time. We still have time in the transition. Right. But if we waited longer than now, if I wasn't building these things, I really feel like it would be too late. Maybe I'm ahead. Who knows? Maybe we have a lot more time. I don't think so. So over the next couple of years, I would say if people want to follow, that's the thread to follow. Everything is about this new financial paradigm. Everything is about these digital currency networks. Okay. That are good. That are starting. That are going to be put up. And it's all going to happen in the background. No one is going to tell you that this is happening. If you look at the mainstream media, if you look at media in general, it's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's meant to be that way. They're going to hide it behind all kinds of things. They'll hide it behind viruses. They'll hide it behind wars and rumors of wars. All of the things that it was said 
in the scripture that it would be hidden behind plagues, wars, rumors of wars, all of that. You should know that the grid underneath is just being smoothed out. So that's what I would say. Everybody, that's what's happening. That's what's, that's the threat. And all the other things that you want to do, if you're not able to separate yourself and be parallel from that, you, you won't be able to do anything. That's absolute control. Well, um, as our friend Buck Johnson just said here in the chat, it better be better to be three days early than three days late. And I think that does sum up everything we're talking about here, like at the end of the day. And that sums up why I don't shut up, shut up about this stuff, why you guys don't shut up about this stuff. Because, yeah, I, 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 I at this point, I've sadly accepted that a lot of people aren't going to act and a lot of people are just going to maybe even share this podcast and then go back to life. It is what it is. But but, you know, I'm not trying to reach every single person necessarily. I know that there will only be some percentage of people that listen and, and then some percentage of that that take the message seriously and some percentage of that that actually take some actions. But if you're that person, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I have these guys on. That's why I'm probably never going to shut up about this whole, whole whole. Hopefully I'll be saying different things in two years than we're saying right now. My God, I hope so. But you know, I, I, I just want to inspire some people into action and, and to help present actual prescriptions. And, and maybe I, I don't think anybody here is necessarily has all the answers for everybody, but, but the real point is you need to find your own answers and the answer is going to be different for everybody. And it's going to look different for everybody, but at least realize that you got to find answers and at least realize that maybe the storm isn't here yet. Maybe it's not raining sweet. That means, but we can see the clouds, like the clouds are pretty apparent. So start building something. And that, I think and, that's, that's the real message that, that all of and, us have here. And, and real quick, if, if we're criticizing, it's because we realize we don't have time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, waiting for the election in 2024 to change the political climate, it may just be too late. I mean, and, and I'm not doomsaying. I'm saying that things can be put in place in the next two years that can make all of that moot. Yeah. And at the same time, individuals have the ability to put things in place in their own life to, yes. to survive whatever that may be. So. Yes. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, this was awesome. This is great. And uh, I don't know. Hopefully the next time we do it, we'll be talking about other things. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, thanks so thank much, you, guys. Mark. I don't think I don't think I need to tell either of you to keep up the great work and to keep on roaring. I'm, pre I'm pretty confident in that. Thanks thank a lot, you, brother. Appreciate it.